options, don't we? Uh, Options give us a sense of freedom, of control, of responsibility. And so here in Portland, when I go to an ice cream place, I don't want just vanilla or chocolate or swirl. Uh, No, I want to decide between honey balsamic strawberry with cracked pepper or pear with blue cheese or almond brittle with salted ganache or 50 other flavors. You know, of course, when it comes down to choosing your ice cream, it's not really that big of a deal. But what if you're facing options when it comes to more important things? Uh, Relationships, uh, the kind of schooling you go for, where to live. Uh, Sociologist Barry Schwartz talks about how modern Americans have more choice than any group has ever had before. And yet with all of that freedom and with all of that wealth, there's actually more stress and less happiness overall in our society. Uh, Maybe you know that feeling of looking at all the options before you and just feeling paralyzed, right? You feel like you have to make the absolute optimal choice in all your decisions, otherwise you doom yourself to a sub-optimal future. Every decision counts. Every choice matters. And it just feels overwhelming. Uh, But maybe that's not you. Uh, Maybe life seems pretty straightforward to you. You live moment by moment. You do what comes natural. There doesn't seem much of a choice to make. Things just more or less fall into your lap throughout your life. And whatever you decide, even if you make a wrong decision, you can recover. It doesn't really matter. You've got your insurance plan in place. You've got your exit strategies in place. So life is really pretty simple. Choices don't really matter that much when it comes down to it. I wonder if you would identify with either of those mentalities. Could it be that there is something true about both approaches? And yet at the same time, could it be that both are deeply misguided? You know, this summer we're working through the book of Proverbs, a a book of wisdom written mostly by King Solomon, one of Israel's greatest kings. We've been working through the first section of this book, uh, which is a series of instructions from a father to his son. And this morning we wrap up this section here in chapters 8 and 9. What we're going to see is that actually life isn't as complicated as going to an ice cream place. Uh, In fact, all of life fundamentally comes down to two choices. And yet, unlike the mindset of that carefree person, what we choose absolutely matters. It matters for life or death. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to to Proverbs. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 9. That's on page 996 in the Pew Bibles. Proverbs chapter 9. And if you're taking notes, my first point is this. Life comes down to two choices. Life comes down to two choices. All right, let me read here in Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. 
Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman's folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, to, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. After all this instruction and teaching of the previous eight chapters, Solomon summarizes, summarizes it all with this question. That will you choose wisdom or will you choose folly? We see here that this chapter is, is framed by the two depictions of, of lady wisdom and lady folly. We see from verse 1, starting there, that how, how lady wisdom is a hard worker. She, she has built her own house. Uh, this isn't a small house. It, it has seven pillars that support it, giving it the impression of, of a palace or even a temple. Not only that, but she has put on this lavish feast. She, she prepares her meat. Literally, she slaughters her, her beasts. Uh, she has mixed her wine. Now, everything she does is through diligent work, through skillful planning, uh, through intentionality. Not only that, but, but Lady Wisdom is a lady of authority. She's a great lady. She sends out her maids to invite all to her banquet. From the highest points of the city, they call out, not, not just to the rich or the powerful, but to the simple, to those who are lacking, and inviting them to this lavish banquet to partake of her best food and wine. And then this picture concludes with this amazing promise. Leave your simple ways and you will live. The, the food that Lady Wisdom offers is life itself. But that's not what we see with Lady Folly. There in verse 13, uh, Lady Folly is undisciplined. She, she knows very little. And yet she is loud. And she is rowdy. She, she talks a fine game, but there's no substance behind it. Wh whatever she has, she hasn't worked for it. Uh, she hasn't gained it through knowledge or skill. And yet that doesn't stop her from, from boasting. You know, unlike Lady Wisdom, who is a modest woman, Lady Folly sits at the door of her house and calls out to whoever passes by this picture of a slovenly woman. She calls to people to turn aside from their paths and enter into her home. You can't help but think of the images that we saw last week from chapter 7 of the prostitute. Well, in spite of her laziness, Lady Folly's call is heard by all because her house is at the highest point of the city. You know, strangely, whatever city this is in, it seems like Lady Folly has taken the most prominent place in that city. You know, whereas Lady Wisdom needs to send out her maids to go to the highest points to call to people, Lady Folly actually lives there at the highest point, and so she can just call out to everyone as they pass by. 
like Lady Wisdom, folly also calls out to those who are simple, who are lacking in judgment. But Lady Wisdom calls on them in order to help them, to mature them. Lady Folly, she calls on the simple in order to prey on them, to take advantage of them. And verse 17 is her offer, right? Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Yet, yet this is the best that Folly has to offer. Notice how Lady Folly doesn't deny that these things are stolen, that these are, 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 are food that, that are acquired illicitly. Rather, she just emphasizes how sweet and delicious they are. She invites you to enjoy them secretly, promising that you'll never be caught. But in verse 18, we see the reality. Though folly promises much, in the end, there's only death. You know, what, what a terrifying picture this is, right? You, you show up at this banquet, you, you see this wonderful spread before you, you think you've found life and goodness and pleasure. You have the embrace of a beautiful woman. But once you've given yourself to her, the lights come on. And all you see around you is, is horror and decay and death. And you find yourself sitting in your own grave. I wonder if some of you this morning knows what that feels like. You know, it's one thing for us to study and analyze wisdom and folly like this. Here in this passage, we see so clearly the foolishness of what folly has to offer. We see so clearly the the beauty and the, the honor of wisdom. But in day-to-day life, as, as we go about our days, it's not always that clear, is it? And the reason for that is because folly knows that what captures our hearts is not sort of categories of, of right and wrong, good or bad necessarily, but rather what captures our hearts is pleasure, enjoyment. That, that's how folly entices us. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis describes this dynamic through the words of one demon training up another demon. And here in this quote, the enemy is God. Listen to this. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground, on God's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, It is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker and least pleasurable, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That's the formula. To get a man's soul and give him nothing in return, that is what really gladdens Satan's heart. Friends, what Proverbs 9 makes clear is that the stakes are high. We're concerned about so many other choices, aren't we? Our investments, our careers, our schools, our entertainment. But what this is saying is that in the midst 
of all your decisions stands this one fundamental decision. Will you allow your heart to be attracted and drawn to the beauty, the honor of wisdom? Or will you allow your heart to be entertained by the brash promises of folly? What you choose is a matter of life and death. You might ask, well, does any one decision really matter all that much? Yeah, in one sense, that's true. Uh, Proverbs is clear that life doesn't come down to sort of one cataclysmic decision that determines your future permanently. And yet what this illustrates for us is the reality that every decision we make really does matter because every decision we make shapes our character to incline either towards wisdom or towards folly. You know, in our lives, there's a kind of momentum that we build in the decisions that we make. There's a kind of slide that can happen either towards greater and greater godliness or deeper and deeper evil. With every decision, your character is being shaped. Part of the deception of folly is to say that there are no consequences, that that food eaten in secret is delicious. But wisdom says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So, so practically, what does it look like to choose wisdom over folly? That, that's the point of that middle section there, particularly verses 7 to 10. Uh, you know, in, in all this talk about wisdom and folly, notice how there's no third choice. Right? A, a lot of people would probably say, hey, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be wise or foolish. I just want to do things kind of my way. You know, it, if that's you, then realize that in saying that, you are choosing folly because that's what verses 7 and 8 are talking about. The, the mocker is the one who has become fixed in his folly and is characterized primarily by his pride, by stubbornness. He wants to do things his way. Maybe he believes that he's found a third way. Maybe he can point to people who are worse off than he is. Those are the people who are in folly. But the truth is that folly is found wherever there is an unteachable heart, where there is pride and self-deception. But the opposite To pursue wisdom is to pursue the humility to receive instruction, admonishment, rebuke. I mean, isn't that striking, right? Wisdom teaches us that we are the ones who stand in need of correction. It turns out that the voice of Lady Folly is actually the voice of our own hearts. Therefore, we're not going to like what we hear when, when wisdom comes to speak to us. We're often going to bristle, we're going to push back, we're going to self-justify. But, but wisdom means having the humility to receive and even embrace correction. Uh, what this means, friends, is that your problem is fundamentally not that you haven't found the right books or gone to the right seminars, not that you don't have the best sermons available to you, thank goodness, no less pressure on me. No, no rather... Your deepest problem is inside you. My wife shared recently how she was reading this joy on on finding the the joys of parenting kind of in the gospel. And she was reading it after an exhausting and frustrating afternoon with the kids. Uh, And and as she read the book, she was like, blah, blah, blah. I heard this all before. Worthless book. But then another day, she returned to the book kind of under a totally different mindset. And she was reading it. She was like, wow, this is actually pretty good stuff. You know, so same book, different results. 
Why? The difference was in her heart, in her, in her humility, in her teachability. Now, folly doesn't just cause us to, to hate instruction. No, it makes us even unable to hear it. But wisdom teaches us to love it. So, brothers and sisters, the, the context of wisdom here is people instructing, correcting one another. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have people who fear what God thinks more than they fear what you think? And, and therefore, they have the love and the courage to tell you what you need to hear but don't want to hear? If you do, if you have someone like that in your life, love them. Thank God for them. They are a tremendous gift of God to you. If you don't, why not? Right? Is it because you've never asked anybody? You never invited that? Is it because every time someone tries to offer that to you, the, the defenses go up? Right? I mean, th- th- this is really worth thinking about because that's where wisdom comes from. Now, at the heart of it, we see in verse 10 that wisdom is a right knowledge and fear of God. In other words, at the heart of it, wisdom is seeing our circumstances, seeing our world, seeing our problems in light of who God is and what he has done. This means that every decision in your life is not about saving money, about making the most of your time, about getting ahead in your career. No, it is at looking at every circumstance and asking, what does this have to do with God? How does my relationship with God shape how I think, how I feel, how I speak, how I act. If, if I'm waiting on a relationship and I'm tempted to be frustrated by, by how slow that's going, how can I honor God and trust Him in the midst of all my fears and insecurities? How can I cultivate a heart that continues to be content with God and believes Him to be for me? If I'm in a tough financial situation, Even as I look for work, what does it look like for me to honor God with my time, with what resources I do have? What does it look like for me to pursue work but at the same time fulfill all the other responsibilities that God has given me? How do I fight being angry and bitter towards God? If I've been hurt by another person and I'm struggling with unforgiveness, how do I continue seeing that other person as one made in the image of God and speak to them? with kindness and love. How can I love them, not for who they are, but for who God is, the God who made them? I'm not saying that the answers to these questions are are by any means easy, but wisdom means that we live in all these circumstances in light of who God is, who He he is, who He made us to be, to whom we all stand accountable. Which means that unless you know this God as He truly is, You don't know wisdom. You know, perhaps this is Solomon's point in in personifying wisdom and folly. Because fundamentally, we relate to wisdom and folly not as rules, not as laws, but as a person. This is fundamentally about a relationship, a, a love affair. To embrace wisdom is to live in right relationship with God. And that changes how we live. You know, when I was a single... For a few years, I lived in the house with, with a dozen other guys. Uh, we, we were friends, but the people that were living in that house were constantly rotating. We were always getting new roommates. And the way we made it work and actually kept the place clean uh, was by having these house rules, right? This was a multi-page document 
that was always growing because new rules were constantly being added. So, for example, I have some of them here. Uh, silverware and drinking glasses should be washed in the dishwasher. Simply licking your used utensils and drying them with your shirt is not sufficient cleaning method. All right? If you decide to cut your hair or someone else's hair, use the bathrooms, not the kitchen or living room. All right? Fire escapes are for escaping from fires. You're not permitted to use them for sunbathing. Um, last one here. Once something is thrown into the garbage can, it is considered garbage and should not be eaten. All right, so just basic rules for single guys living together, right? You need rules in a context like that. Thankfully, I got married and I moved out. Um, and when I got married, I embraced a new relationship. And that relationship changed me and it continues to change me even today. Now, I've come to discover that the way to serve my marriage is not by learning a bunch of rules like those. Uh, rather, the way I serve my marriage, grow in my marriage, is to deepen my relationship with my wife, to, to know her, to know what pleases her, to know what brings her joy. And as I learn these things, because I love and want to serve my wife, I change how I live, right? Uh, that's been far more powerful in changing me than any set of house rules. Wisdom cannot come from rules. Rules can, can manage some of our folly, but it can't transform us. No, only a relationship can change us from the inside. The, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I'm learning as a parent how hard this is. You know, in one sense, I would much rather teach my kids rules rather than the fear of God. And don't get me wrong, rules are so important when it comes to parenting. But I'm realizing that there, there is no way I can ever set up enough boundaries to protect my children from all the folly that exists in life. No, rather, what this is teaching me is that my only hope is that I would teach my kids to know and to trust in the living God, to fear Him, in order that they would know how to live in this world that He has made. This, this is true whether my child is two or he's 20. As a parent of small children, I, I see the foolishness of my children, the, the warnings of this passage, and it's frightening, isn't it? The stakes are high. The, the world is a dark place. I am not in control. But even in light of all of that, I need to remember that my most important relationship is not with my children, but with God. I need to remember that what I need to fear most is not my children's future, but, but rather God. To believe His Word, to trust His character, to obey His commands. And my prayer is that as I do so, my children would also come to fear their God. In every circumstance in your life, it all comes down to those two choices, wisdom or folly, fear of God or fear of anything and everything else. In the remaining minutes that we have, before we, we head back out into this world of lady folly, let's take the time to stare at the beauty and goodness of wisdom. Uh, the only way we're going to be able to say no to the fleeting pleasures of folly is by delighting in the lasting beauty of wisdom. And that's what we get here in chapter 8. If you just flip back to the previous chapter. Chapter 8. And this is my second point. Very simple. Choose the wisdom of God. Choose the wisdom of God. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. 
Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than, than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on earth. I love those who love me. And those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then... I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Christians throughout the centuries have been fascinated by this depiction of wisdom. And what stood out is particularly the way that this seems to point us to someone who is begotten by God, who entered our world, who speaks to us the truth, who brings us life. In other words, doesn't this seem to point us to Jesus? Uh, that's not to say that when Solomon wrote this, he knew that he was writing about Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the Word made flesh. And yet, in the way that Solomon personifies wisdom and gives us this soaring, glorious description in order to, to draw our hearts after wisdom. When we look at the wider scope of redemptive history, we come to understand that the Holy Spirit was showing us that there was more to come and that the fullest meaning of this passage is found in Jesus Christ. 
Paul writes, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To embrace the wisdom of God as we ought is to embrace Jesus Christ. And to know Jesus Christ is to know wisdom. That's what this passage points us to. And so I want to give you five truths about wisdom that we see here. All right? Five truths about wisdom that we see here. First, wisdom meets you where you are. Wisdom meets you where you are. That's what we see there in verses 1 through 5. What we see here is that wisdom is not silent. It's not esoteric. It's not secretive. Rather, we encounter wisdom down on the street level, uh, in the marketplace, at the gates of the city, in the midst of the noise and dust of everyday life. Wisdom calls out to all men, no matter how simple or foolish. Wisdom has come to give prudence and understanding to whoever will listen, even here this morning. What this is saying is that even though wisdom is this, this divine and glorious thing, it is not too, too lofty to enter into the everyday issues that, that you face every day. Uh, whether you are the CEO of a company, uh, an overworked stay-at-home mother, or a middle school student facing peer pressure, that wisdom is willing to condescend and enter into your world to speak prudence and understanding into your life. And with Jesus Christ, we see the truth of this expressed in an astonishing way, don't we? That the God that we are commanded to fear condescended to enter into our world. Not only to enter into our world, but enter into our humanity. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Do you know why you can believe that you, even you, can have this heavenly wisdom? It's because Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, became man. He, he breathed your air. He walked in your shoes. He dealt with the suffering and pain that you deal with. And from that vantage point, he calls you to follow him. You know, this is not new age spirituality, elitist philosophy, vague notions of self-help. No, this is the wisdom of God lived out in the flesh, personally, concretely, in the very same world that we inhabit today. So, are you confused about life? Are you wondering what to do in your workplace, in your marriage, with your money? Then get to know Jesus. Read the gospel accounts. Read the writings of his disciples. Listen to what he has to say. See how he goes about his life. Watch him give his life for sinners. Rise in victory over sin. Pursue wisdom by getting to know Jesus personally. The the, the more you know him, the more you love him and trust him and are in relationship with him, the more your life will be shaped by him. Second, wisdom reveals the truth. Right? We see this. In verses 6 through 13, wisdom reveals the truth. Yes, wisdom has entered into our fallen world, but it is nothing like this world. It is in the world, but not of the world. 
unlike the deception and wickedness of folly, wisdom only speaks the truth. It only speaks what is just and good and right. Now, wisdom not only loves what is true, but it rejects what is evil. Unlike the, the relativism or the, the, the passive agnosticism of our world, wisdom reveals to us boundaries of good and evil, truth and falsehood. One of my favorite sort of nerdy movies is The Matrix. Uh, here, humanity has been conquered by machines, uh, and machines bring people into subjection by plugging into their brains and causing them to live in this virtual world where they don't know that they're being controlled by the machines. That's a great image of what sin does to us, right? It, it causes us to live in this world of lies where we, we are deceived about ourselves, about our circumstances, about the people around us. We walk around our days, you know, thinking really highly of ourselves, thinking that we are gods of this world. You know, we, we call good evil. We call evil good. We pursue evil behavior and speech. But here comes wisdom. Wisdom comes to us speaking the truth. Wisdom pulls back the veil, reveals to us the, the God-centeredness of this world that we live in, shows us reality as it really is. That's why wisdom is more precious than rubies or gold or silver. I mean, what use is money if you don't know what is true or good? What, what value is good health or food or clothes if you don't know what your life or your body is for? Again, this aspect of wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. Christ was tempted as we are and yet was without sin. All of humanity stands trapped inside the deception and blindness of sin. But here comes Jesus Christ as one from the outside who comes to open our eyes to our deception and to show us the way of truth. Have you ever noticed how, how radical Jesus' words seem to our sensibilities? It's almost like he sees something that we don't. He sees reality in a way that we don't, right? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or how about this? I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Or how about this one? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Or how about this one? If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Friends, that, that's how wisdom speaks to us. It doesn't coddle us. It doesn't tolerate our, our sinful tendencies. Jesus was certainly not popular in his day when he was exposing the truth of sin and judgment, but he spoke with the voice of wisdom. So again, if you want to learn wisdom, go hear what Jesus has to say. Go learn to think as he thinks. Jesus reveals to us the truth, not because he hates you, no, but because he loves you and he hates sin and he wants to rescue us from the death of our folly. Number three, wisdom 
gives us true riches. Wisdom gives us true riches. We see there, this in chapter 8, there, verses 14 through 21. Wisdom is so precious that even the richest kings and princes of the earth seek after it because it's only by it that they can do their job well. Uh, the, the richest, most powerful man on earth is utterly dependent on wisdom that only God can give. Apart from it, he will only make a mess of his life. I think of those stories of athletes and, and people who won the lottery, who, who made millions and millions of dollars, and yet today find themselves just utterly bankrupt and ruined and alone. No amount of money or power or influence can get someone to a point where, where they can say, you know, I, I just don't need wisdom anymore. No, that, that's what Solomon realized, isn't it? In spite of the fact that he was king, he knew that he lacked the one thing that he most desperately needed, which is wisdom. Therefore, whether you are a king or a servant, if you have wisdom, you are truly rich. Not just in your bank account, but in all your life. Honor, enduring wealth. It says prosperity there in verse 20, but it's literally righteousness. Don't limit these rewards to just money. Okay, verse 19, the fruit of wisdom is better than gold. It surpasses choice silver. That's where uh, prosperity theology, people say who, that, that God exists to make you rich. That's where that, that falls short. Uh, because if your wisdom is only good enough to get you money, yeah, that's not God's wisdom because you're just going to end up losing it all like those lottery winners or whatever. Um, no, no, this is a wisdom that promises and grants genuine lasting wealth, because along with that, it grants righteousness and honor. And, and we hear the promises of wisdom here, but we also hear the promises of the gospel, don't we? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but, and what we sh- will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Through the gospel, God gives us his spirit and is conforming us to the image of Christ. And the day is coming when that work will be complete. And on that day, God will graciously give us all things. We will inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for those who love him. Yes, amazing riches, but also the holiness and the godliness to use that wealth, not for our ruin, but for our eternal joy and for God's everlasting glory. So, so allow these promises of wisdom to wean you off of the shallow and false and worthless promises that folly entices you with. When you're being tempted, put the pleasures of of lust and gluttony and false comforts and addictions, put them side by side with the eternal kingdom that Christ offers you. Would you rather feast with folly in the grave or would you rather have 
the eternal life that God promises to his children. Friends, your sin is lying to you. You don't have to try to get it all now. You don't have to live like this is the only life you'll ever get. Jesus is making all things new. Therefore, pursue true riches by embracing the wisdom of God. Number four, wisdom rules the world. Wisdom rules the world. That's what we see there in verses 22 to 31. And here is perhaps the most striking description of wisdom in all of Proverbs. What we see here is that wisdom is not something that man has created. Rather, wisdom comes from God himself. That's the point of this image of of wisdom being given birth, wisdom being brought forth. It's not to say that God ever lacked wisdom. You know, at one point he didn't have wisdom and now he does. Rather, what this is talking about is that God's wisdom comes from him. God's wisdom is eternal. Uh, Therefore, God's wisdom is prior to this world. The wisdom that we are called to pursue is ageless and unshakable and unchangeable. It is a wisdom that precedes our existence, that encompasses all of our days on earth, and that will continue on to eternity. Wisdom is the foundation on which this world exists. As one theologian says, not a speck of matter, not a trace of order came into existence but by wisdom. The reason this world functions as it does is because it submits to the wisdom of God, the authority, the reign of God. And when that happens, we see in verses 30 and 31 that, that, that this is not a boring thing. No, joy breaks out when God's wisdom is exercised. There's, there's peace and delight and joy wherever we find the wisdom of God. Therefore, when mankind rejects wisdom and lives according to folly, what we are rejecting is the very fabric of our existence, the very laws by which this universe exists. You know, the, the sadness and pride and evil of folly is not how God created this world to be. No, they are a perversion. They are a twisting of God's design. Nonetheless, in spite of the fact that sin has entered the world, God's wisdom remains the most fundamental law of the universe. More fundamental than the laws of, of chemistry or physics. No, the, God reigns and wisdom reigns. And therefore, any attempts to veer from wisdom will ultimately end in death. But those who live according to God's wisdom will find the truest, deepest purposes for which they were created. Perhaps more than any other part of the Proverbs, wisdom here points us to Jesus Christ and finds its most profound fulfillment in Him. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Why should you embrace Him rather than your sin? Because He is the one for whom you were made. You were not created to turn in on yourself in, in idolatry and pride. 
No, you exist to know and to worship the majestic, all-powerful, joyful, merciful God and to live for Him. Every longing in your soul for glory, for immortality, for love points you not to yourself, not to your destructive addictions. No, it points you to this great God, to Jesus Christ, your Creator. To live in any other way other than submission to Christ, well, it may seem like it will work for a while. You might get some results. You might get some thrills. But what goes up must come down. The day is coming when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, wake up to this truth. Wisdom rules the world. And finally, wisdom offers us life. Verses 32 to 36 is what we see wisdom appeal to us with. You have a choice to make, right? Every single one of us this morning has a choice to make. Are we going to listen to the voice of wisdom? Are we going to watch for it? Are we going to pursue it? Or will we ignore it? This is not about what other people think. This is not about what your parents have done to you. This is not about what you've suffered in life. This is not about your genetics your social background, you know, those things might very well be significant in your past, but none of those things determine the choice that you must make. No, this is about you today. No matter what you've been through, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, today will you commit yourself to living according to the fear of God? Will you reject the lies of folly and embrace the promises of wisdom? Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Or as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember how wisdom in chapter 9 fundamentally rebukes and corrects us? That's what Jesus reveals to us about what we need. Now we are, every single one of us, those who have given ourselves to folly. We have sinned against God. We have broken the law of the universe. We have veered from his wisdom. We have pursued death. And for our sin, we have earned the fruits of our folly. We justly deserve God's judgment and condemnation. But this is why Jesus came. On the cross, the death that our folly earned was laid upon Christ. The wisdom of God bore the judgment of God against folly in the place of fools like you and me. And yet Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, proved to be more powerful, far more powerful than even our folly. And by his death, he utterly crushed it, conquered it, and he rose from the dead on the third day. And now he calls us to turn away from our life of sin, to place our trust in him. If we will, if we will trust in Christ, God promises us life, in its truest sense, not just money or good health or or easy living, but eternal life grounded in a right relationship with Him, with God. Sins forgiven, full acceptance, reconciliation. This is where wisdom begins. Blessed is the man who listens to me. 
watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. Whether this is your first time in church this morning or whether you've been coming all your life, this is the choice that faces you today and every day for the rest of your life. Will you choose the wisdom of God or will you choose the folly of your own heart? Will you choose Christ and live or will you turn away and die? Friends, don't be deceived. Life is full of choices, but beneath them all is this one choice that really matters for all of eternity. Wisdom or folly, life or death, what are you going to choose? Let's pray. And even before I pray, take a moment now to pray in your own words to God. Perhaps the Lord, for the first time, is revealing to you the the folly that you've pursued. Perhaps for the first time, you've opened your eyes to the, the reign of wisdom in the world that we live in. Talk to God. Ask Him to, to reveal your own folly, to, to show you the path of wisdom. And in just a little bit, I'll close this in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing to us the world that we live in, the hearts that we carry. Lord, we are astonished at the folly that we find ourselves inundated with day in, day out, moment by moment. And Lord, we have given our ears and our hearts to that folly. But God, we thank you that you have not left us to that, that you have entered into this world. You have spoken wisdom like a beam of light into the darkness. And Father, we would receive that wisdom. We would receive Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love him, to trust him, to know him. Lord, help us to fear you and cause our lives then to be shaped by your wisdom, in order that we might know this life that you offer to us. Help us to do that today. Help us do that this week and for the rest of our lives. Lord, bring people into our lives who will speak wisdom to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.